For tapes, CDs, DVDs, to our publication, Voices from His Excellent Glory, Declaring the Kingdom, write P.O. Box 21516, Hot Springs, Arkansas, Zip 71903. Our website is www.lakehamiltonbiblecamp.com and lhbconline.com. There are many free audio files there. It's like going to Bible school at home. Thank you. This is the 14th Annual Deliverance Conference being held at Lake Hamilton Bible Camp in Hot Springs National Park, Arkansas. This is Tuesday evening, October the 26, 2010. Vito Ralla is a speaker of this service teaching on Old Man, New Man. Dr. Vito Ralla. Thank you. Well, praise the Lord. I'm excited to be here, and um, this being our first visit, we came here not knowing what to expect, but I do believe in God and that for the suddenlies and the unexpected things that he will bring into our midst if we will just believe. And we are a people of believers, and so tonight as we proceed, not only in this place, but also on the internet, that we will share some things with you uh, tonight and then on Thursday night, I will, I will bring a close to what I'm going to share. But for tonight, I just want to introduce you to um, what we're going to do. And uh, we're, we're, we are really excited about today and tomorrow, the next day, this whole conference. We're very excited about it. My wife, Pat, is sitting here with me. Um, and as um, Brother Jim said, we've, we've traveled, we've done a lot of things, and and God has, uh, has sort of put a chokehold on me and said, that's as far as you're going to go. Put a leash on me in the things of the world, the things that I was involved in. And now, with his loving care, he's brought us to a place that where we can share our experiences, our testimonies, to help so many others that need to hear what we have to say. And that is all of us. But first, I want to share something with you. As I was coming over here, uh, I thought of a couple of things, and then I took some notes, so we're not in a hurry. What do I have, about four hours? Something like that. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's a story of the four worms. It's a lesson of the four worms. A minister decided that a visual demonstration would add emphasis to his Sunday sermon. Four worms were placed into four separate jars. The first worm was put into a container of alcohol, the second worm was put into a container of cigarette smoke, and the third worm was put into the container of chocolate syrup. The fourth worm was put into a, a container of good, clean soil. At the conclusion of the sermon, the minister reported the following results. The first worm in alcohol, dead. The second worm in cigarette smoke, dead. The third worm in chocolate syrup, dead. The fourth worm in good, clean soil was alive. So the minister asked the congregation, what can you learn from the demonstration uh, that I've just presented? And Maxine went like this in the back of the auditorium, raised her hand, and she said, as long as you drink, smoke, and eat chocolate, you won't have worms. <laughs> and that's pretty much... Um, and that concluded the service, by the way. And so, rather interesting. I, I want to read you something else uh, we, we wrote. M may I mention the books that you're having back there? May I mention it? This is our latest book called Heaven Bound. Are you sure? Uh, it's an interesting book. The Lord uh, worked with us for about a year and three months or so. And um, every day as we read the scriptures, the Lord began to piece little things uh, in our hearts and we began to look at it and my wife and I every day and by the time we were finished uh, with our notes we both had stacks of notes like this so we were paying attention to what the Lord was giving us and gave us some real revelation so um, this book is back there can be purchased from the camp here also the um, uh, the uh, secrets behind the martial arts and yoga are also back there breaking generational curses is also back there and my wife's book um, which is called uh, This Is Not a Dress Rehearsal, is also available through the camp. Okay, So uh, I want to share something else here that um, came to mind. We wrote it, and actually we put it in the book because we thought it was rather interesting. It was a story that, um, a story that we had heard, and it was uh, rather interesting that um, 
it's much like what we see in the church today. And so, if you're not getting the book, at least you can hear the story. Okay, and it goes like this. One Sunday morning, an old cowboy entered the church just before services were to begin. And although the old man and his clothes were spotlessly clean, he wore jeans, denim shirt, and boots that were very worn and ragged. In his hand, he carried a worn-out old hat and an equally well-read Bible. The church he entered was in a very upscale, exclusive part of the city. Now, you've all seen those before, and yet, you know, you probably have seen the same kind of churches, but at a different level in even some of the worst neighborhoods in the country, as we have. And so, the people of the congregation were all dressed with expensive clothes and jewelry. They were dressed to the hilt. As the cowboy took a seat, the others moved away from him. No one greeted, spoke to him, or welcomed him. They were all appalled by his appearance and did not attempt to hide it. As the old cowboy was leaving the church, the preacher approached him and asked the cowboy to do him a favor. Before you come back here again, have a talk with God and ask him what he thinks would be appropriate attire for worship in this church. The old cowboy assured the preacher that he would. The next Sunday, he showed up at the services wearing the same ragged jeans, the shirt, the boots, and the hat. Once again, he was completely shunned and ignored by the people. The preacher approached the cowboy and said, I thought I asked you to speak to God before you come back to our church. I did, replied the old cowboy. If you spoke to God, what did he tell you? The proper attire would be for worshiping here, asked the preacher. Well, sir, God told me that he didn't have a clue what I should wear. He said he had never been in this church. <laughs> much is said, much is said about, about, about the church and its condition. And I, I think that for those of you that are here in uh, in deliverance ministry, or, or want to be into deliverance ministry, um, there's a lot going on out there that most of us never see. Uh, there's a lot that's going on um, that should be going on, and that's not there. It's not happening within the body of Christ. And so, therefore, I believe we have a weak and anemic church, simply because they do not understand. We have those that are so religious that... They think that once they said the name of Jesus and accepted him into, into their lives, that that was the end all of it, that there wouldn't be further work that had to be done in their lives. But the contrary is true. None of us has come into the kingdom totally clean. I've never seen one. And so I'm going to share with you tonight about two natures. Um, this, was, this was something that the Lord gave me about two days ago. And you know, when the Lord gives you things, sometimes he gives you the outline and doesn't give you everything that you're to do. And sometimes I believe he never gives us everything. And as that person said earlier, we prophesy in part, we know in part, we give in part, because it takes the whole body of Christ to come together in order to do the work of the ministry. Not one person has all the answers. And so what I'm declaring to you today is that if we learn our part and do our part, then we can help one another do their part. It takes a team effort. It takes the body of Christ coming together, not individuals, not lone rangers out there, not people that build their ministries and their cathedrals that say that we've got the answers, look at us. And people are looking at idols and worshiping uh, idols in churches and in preachers, and that's the worst thing that we can do. We're all equal in the sight of the Lord. And so we have to come to that place that we will certainly be what God calls us to be, or we won't be at all. It's, it's very simple. The question that, that I have that is very interesting is, is I hear people say this all the time, especially those that are in need of help. We know the world needs help, but when we hear Christians say the things that I'm about to share with you, uh, I think we have to take note, step back and say, okay, Lord, what's going on? What's happening? That, is there something I don't see? And the answer is probably yes. We're not seeing it. Some of the questions and some of the responses that we get from people are, I'm a Christian, so why? Why do I have to deal with so many problems in my life? Is there anyone here that has said that? Okay. 
I serve in church, I pray, I tithe, I help people, I'm a good person. So why do I feel at times defeated, depressed? And at times I have evil thoughts and emotions that seem to be out of control. Have we ever said any of those things? Hmm. We'll see. Before I became a Christian, I had all of these problems. So why am I still struggling with the same issues after I accepted Jesus Christ and became a believer? There are many reasons why so many believers suffer with strongholds and are in bondage. I don't have all the answers. I don't think anyone does. But we do know what causes bondage, strongholds, and that sin culture that we're living in today. Oftentimes, we, we see the cycle. It's the cycle. And that cycle, that cycle is they get free, they fall back. They get free, and they fall back. Over and over again. Never able to get to that place of total freedom. It takes effort to get to that place. It takes submission, and it takes our will engaged in what the Word of God declares. Oftentimes, the, the people that we run across all the time, because we are in, in deliverance ministry, but that is not all we do. Deliverance is a part of ministry, but it shouldn't be an end all to itself. It's like saying, I'm a prophet and I go around prophesying. Or I'm a, a, a apostle and I go around apostolizing everywhere that I go. It's a play on words. Okay, we say we are something, but we're all just ministers of the gospel. Each of us has been given an assignment. Each of us has been called to a particular area in ministry. But all encompassing is that we should be able to do everything. And many are not. They're trying to focus on one thing. I need to tell you something. This is the last ministry in the world that I wanted to be a part of. I sat under teachers such as Don Basham, Derek Prince, and others that after they left, I thought it would never come back to church. Because I said, if this is what's in Christians, I want nothing to do with it. I said, now I'll go out and I'll share the word. I'll preach the gospel. I'll go wherever you want, Lord. I'll do whatever you ask, but not that. And so I refused to do it after I seen a few people slither like snakes across the floor in my living room. And after I've seen the things that come out of their mouth, that they should have been outside in the backwoods when they did it. They should have been doing a lot of other things that they were doing, but not in my living room, not in the church where I was. I did not like the screaming, the yelling, the loud, the loud voices that were coming out of people. And so I walked away from it. Actually, I walked away from ministry for some time because I didn't like what I saw. I saw the hypocrites. And when I looked in the mirror... I saw another hypocrite, and that was me. You see, we have to be honest in who we are, because if we go into denial, nothing is going to happen. And denial is not a river in Egypt, for some of you that don't know. <laughs> so I begin to ask the question, how are they going to maintain freedom? How are any of us going to maintain freedom? What are we going to have to do? And the Lord put me into position that he brought me in the back door and said, this is what I want you to do. And so gently he nudged me in to the ministry that I'm in now, which is a part of an overall ministry. I did not like it, but I didn't refuse it because the way that it came into my life was a way that probably none of you would like to have anything come into your life. And so the door was open and the Lord said, now, I want you to do this. Will you do it, son? I said, yes, sir, I'll do it. What do I have to do? And so I began to follow the pattern that is given to all of us in his word. And so that pattern is dealing with um, issues in all of our lives. None of, us, none of us did not go through a process and come into the kingdom without this process going on in our lives. Each of us had to grow up. And now I'll give you this word. Ephesians 4.17 if you would like to turn there and I'll read it to you or you can follow along. Ephesians 4, 17, 24. Excuse me. Okay. A few pages rattling. Are you there? Okay. You know, if Ephesians was the only book that we had, we could make it. Did you know that? Ephesians is an incredible, compact book that speaks to all of our lives. 
But you have to dig. It's in there. You know, gold nuggets are not found on the ground. You have to dig for gold. And that's the same way in the Word of God. You have to dig for it. And that means we need a revelation of what that Word is saying. And then we need to follow through because there's many, many avenues that take us to other Scriptures. And it's like it's, everything is compounded and we're moving into a, a place where we understand Scriptures. Like the, the Scriptures have opened up to us in the last few years like never before. I'm looking at things in the Scripture and I'm saying, Lord, I've read that a hundred times. Why is it just now coming alive? Well, that's the word. That's why it says that the word is alive. I won't go there. I won't say that. Anyway, look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and therefore testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. We're going to be talking about the mind tonight and Thursday. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated of the ignorance that is in them. Sometimes I look at ignorance in people and it looks like it's gone to seed. I'm not judging them. I'm saying it's ignorance on top of, of ignorance. And many within the body of Christ, not all, but many within the body of Christ don't have a clue of what's going on out there in the world. Or even in their church, they have no clue. And it goes on to say, the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work themselves to lewdness to walk in all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have ta- been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, then you put off concerning your old farmer nature. I added the old farmer nature and conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which has been created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness is where we're going today. I was looking at the, um, uh, the screen tonight and as, I, uh, as we were singing and uh, this song popped out and really grabbed me and so I wrote it down to make sure that I didn't forget it. And we sang the song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, true, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Are we a living sanctuary for the Lord? And I think that oftentimes we think that we are, but we've been deceived. We've been deluded in our own minds that we are a sanctuary We must be sanctified and we must be holy. And I was talking to someone as we were preparing to come here and I saw that that holiness is good in the church, but it takes sanctification to get us to the place that we become holy, that we're walking the high road. You see, if we're walking the high road of holiness, the enemy is going to have a difficult time getting to us. But if we're walking that low road, we're going to find it's going to be a very difficult a difficult road and a road that we're going to struggle on in the entire Christian walk that we have. And so one of the men tonight talked about unforgiveness. But I want to take it a step, a step further, Tom. Unforgiveness hinders growth and maturity and opens the door to the enemy of our soul. Now, we know in Matthew 7, it talks about unforgiveness. Jesus said, unless you'll forgive those who offend you, you'll not be forgiven. We cannot come to the Lord with unforgiveness in our heart. It says, otherwise, he would turn us over to the tormentors. Well, if you don't know what the tormentors are, I'm going to give it to you. In Matthew 18... And starting from about um, about the 18th verse, I'm not going to go into the whole the whole scripture. I wanted to give you the scripture so that you can take a look at it. It's it's very important. When I saw this, I was intrigued by it, and I said, Lord, well, who can be saved? Who can be delivered? If there's unforgiveness in our hearts, how do we escape? But Matthew 18 and the um, the verse that I want to get to here is the um, I think the 23rd or 24th verse. Excuse me, as I get there. All right. Um, yes, it was Peter, the 21st verse. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus said, uh-uh, uh-uh. Seven times 70 is what we should forgive him. And he goes on to give the story of the two servants. Most of you know that story, but if not, you can read it 
when you get more time. I don't want to read it all tonight. I'll, I'll summarize it. There were two servants. One servant owed about a million dollars to, to the king, to the person that he was servant to. The other owed about a day's wages, about 15 bucks, whatever that was. The first servant went to the Lord, or went to the king, and asked and begged for forgiveness. And he said, okay, I'll forgive you the debt, which is a lot of money back then. It was an illustration, not necessarily that it was actually a million dollars, but it's an illustration of what we should think about and look at in the Word to say, what is he really saying here? How important is what Jesus is saying? And he forgave him that debt, and then he turned, and he went to the servant that owed him that day's wages. And he couldn't pay and threw him in prison. Some of the other servants heard about it, went to the king, and they said, Look, this guy that you've just forgiven all this money to, he has thrown his fellow servant in prison. He didn't forgive him, is what he was saying. And the king called him back before him, and he said, You wicked servant. He said, I forgave you all of that debt, and yet you turned right around. And you didn't forgive the other person. Now, the interesting part that I want to show you. He said, should you not also, verse 33, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master, I want you to grab a hold of this. This is really important. It's really skimmed over. We share this at every conference that we do because we do deliverance conferences But we share this because unforgiveness was the key to people moving forward. It was their key to growth and maturity, and they're not going to move any further. And we've seen many of them that would not move beyond that until they forgave. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. Who are the torturers? Okay. Until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you. If each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother and trespasses. Now, if you notice something there, it was he reinstored all of the debt. Did you see that? He reinstored the debt. How much of that? I don't know. But it says he delivered him to all of that debt. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I'm sure about me, that if I'm in unforgiveness and Father tells me to forgive that person and I don't, I don't want to be drawn back into that cage. And so if it's all of the debt of all of our sins, of all the things that we have been forgiven of, you be the judge. But I'll tell you, it scared the bejeebus out of me the first time I read that and really understood it. Okay, so let's move on to the message. This is the season of transformation. This is a season that I believe that nameless, faceless people are going to rise up in the midst of the body of Christ and they will see signs and wonders following them. They're not going to see and have to manufacture signs. They're not going to have to manipulate. They're not going to have to muster up. They're not going to have to do all of this workup business that we so often see in the body of Christ today. It's a shame what we see in the body of Christ. You know, the United States has trained up, and for those who might be overseas, the United States has trained people up a certain way, not always the right way, and then has taken it overseas. And you know what? Overseas, the people like in the countries that we've been in, China, we've been in the Philippines, we've been, we've been in Germany, they're picking up on the same things that they're hearing and being taught from this country. And so we're seeing a, an exceptional amount of, of misknowledge of what, what they should be learning, and it's being characterized, they're characterizing what, what they see as true. And so they're carrying it into their people, and so this lie is being propagated amongst the people. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be responsible for that kind of teaching. I don't want to be responsible for what the results are going to be and the punishment that's going to be attached to those who are delivering that message overseas. And so we are at a place now that we are, we are moving to a, 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 a dimension that we're going to lose a lot of the junk that's on us. It's going to fall off. But it's going to take more than going to church, sitting in a pew, being a spectator. It's going to take more than just reading your Bible. It's going to take more than giving your tithes. It's going to take a season of us shedding those things that are upon our lives and the lives of others that God has called each of us to help get rid of. Romans 6.6 
Could I get some water, please? I want you to see this because oftentimes we look at the Scripture and we bypass it and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. It's for somebody else. Or this is something that everybody else has to worry about but not me. We become prideful and say, that can't be me. Thank you so much. Romans 6.6. 6. Are you there? Okay. Knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, or in other words, be destroyed. Some versions say be destroyed. That from now on, we should not serve sin. I just want you to think about that. Let that settle in just for a moment. That from now on, we should not serve sin. Does this mean, in any sense of the word, that we can serve sin? I want you to think about it now. We answer. Just think about it. Did we serve sin before we were born again? Bubbleheads. You can see it. Bubbleheads. I want to see some action out there. I'm an action person. The more you act, the more I'll get into it. But if you don't act, I'm really going to get into it. Okay. Can we still serve sin after we are born again? Okay, we're on the same page. All right. When a person is born again, and that's assuming that they are, there should be a change in their spiritual lifestyle. But that's not always the case. Why? Why isn't there a change? So many people that we have ministered to, we've seen their lifestyles continue after they are born again. People that go on the streets and they share the good news and they say, you can come into the kingdom, all you have to do is say the name of Jesus and this prayer that I'm going to give you and now you're on your way. No talk of sin, of repentance, of unforgiveness, or change in lifestyle. Another number, one more, feather in my hat. I can't tell you how many times I hear people that I run across that say they're winning 50 souls every day to the Lord. I don't think it's that easy. No, let me back up. Go back. We never see that in fact. It's always in their mind. It's in their imagination. And that they believe that it's a holy thing. They believe they can go out and lead people to the Lord and it's like throwing the baby out with the wash. And they never see them again. I think I read somewhere in here, I think, when Jesus said, be converted and make disciples. Aren't those two words in there? But are we doing that? So how can we lead them by, by leading them through a prayer and then taking them and saying, okay, now you've got your ticket to heaven and you're on your way. And you and I, if we've been deceived, believing that that's the answer that they're going to make it, think again. Because I've seen people walk with the Lord for two or three, four years, five years, and turn and go the other direction. Why? Some of you have seen it. I know you've seen it. If I've seen it, you've seen it if you've been in ministry for any length of time. I write about some of these things. I'm not proud of it. That I led these people and then let them down. And sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes you can't help it that you leave them. You do the best that you can, but when we're discipling people, we're going to make disciples that are going to follow Jesus. And that includes, come on, deliverance. Come on, D, the big D word. Everybody's afraid to say that big D word because they're afraid of what somebody's going to think. But Jesus delivered people, and we're going to have to, to be into a position to also bring them through deliverance. We, we sometimes, you know, fear of man sometimes grips us once in a while. And when, when people call and they say, well, what do you do? We, we don't say we're deliverance ministers. We say, well, we do inner healing. Yeah, inner deliverance. But we don't use the word deliverance from demons. You know, the big D's. You know, immediately it turns people off and you're thinking, huh, how am I ever going to get into the church? Don't go to the churches. Don't go. Set up a room. Do it yourself. And I don't mean, you know, that you shouldn't do it in the proper way, but sometimes we have to go out. Listen, the disciples didn't go to church meetings. They didn't have Bibles. Did they think about it? They had the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have three point messages and fourteen closings. They went out there and they shared their hearts. They shared their testimony. They shared what they saw. I've led more people by, by and to the Lord by testimony than I ever had by preaching. 
I've given testimonies that have had people weeping of my life. How I screwed it up. Can I use that word? Okay. Too late, I just did. And so we're, we're at a place, we've, we've got to come out of our religiosity, that spirit of religion that's telling us that we have to do things a certain way. There's no two, two ways to do the same thing. And if you do, it's a cu- cookie cutter method, and each cookie cutter is going to produce the same thing. We need to use what God needs to share your testimony. We overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We didn't overcome by our methodology. We come to a place where we've got to let go and let God. There has to be a sanctification. Why didn't the person who said they were born again, why weren't they free? Well, there are a couple of reasons. I'll give you two. There was a previous owner in us, remember? There was that that old guy, or old woman, whatever way you want to put it. That old guy or old woman that was a part of our nature, that old nature. And that old nature, when we are born again, we have a new experience, a new nature. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that, that all things have become old. old I mean, that we are, we, are a new, we are a new creation. And that being a new creation, that, that means that we are, we are becoming what God has called us to be. We're to grow up in that. Now, there's no one that comes into the kingdom in any way, shape, or form. And it's all grown up. We're in suit and tie, ready to preach. There's a growth process that must take place. But if we allow the old man to become a part of our new life again, sooner or later, he's going to pollute, there's going to be mixture, and we're going to be walking just the way we were before. And so it takes a time of deliverance. And sometimes there's a little dicing there, a little peeling when we go through deliverance, that brings us to a place of holiness. Well, you see, without holiness and deliverance, we'll not possess the possession, Obadiah 17. There's a time that we have to go through that. No one, after they're born again, is totally clean. They may not sin as much as they did, but at some point there's little things that happen. Well, it was the old sin nature. He's standing by, he's looking at us, and he's saying... Sooner or later, that person's going to make a mistake. Sooner or later, if I stick around, he's going to do something or she's going to do something that's going to allow me back in. And old nature takes ground where it was cast out before. That's why we have to be in prayer and we have to go through a process of sanctification and we have to go through a process of purification because without sanctification, we'll not be saints. See, sanctification is where we get the word saint. And sanctification is paramount. It's not an option. I mean, I, I don't know how we can get away from it, and so many try to get away from sanctification. It's a part of what God's taken us through and where he's taken us to. The old man and the new man, they have two very different natures. Don't you know that? When you became a born-again believer, were you the same as you were before you became a believer? then why should it rule in our lives? That means that there's an area of our life that needs to be cleaned up. The old man had to be trained and controlled by sin. Did you know that? We are trained by sin. We should not continue to be trained by anything other than righteousness. It's a season. It's a time for change in our lives. And I'm not talking about pocket change. I'm talking about change in our lifestyles. And that change comes through our obedience and walking with the Lord as He so directed us to walk. When you and I were born again, there was something that happened. Remember, born again really means born from above. It doesn't mean that we're born from a method or from a source. We had a revelation of what it meant. We had a revelation of God's Word. We had a revelation. Even if we didn't know God's Word, there was an awakening, a quickening to our spirit. And that spirit communication then brought us to a place of understanding what we were doing. And oftentimes that that takes a heart change. It's heart to heart. It's from our heart to God's heart. And vice versa. That God's heart becomes a part of us and we understand the love and the forgiveness and the mercy that he has for us. I had a lot to ask for forgiveness for. 
I had a lot when I was when I was sitting in my chair, my blue leather chair. And this is in olden days. And I sat there after I'd read the book, The Late Great Planet Earth. And it about scared me to death because I thought, where am I going with this? What's going to happen to me? And I began to think about myself. And so I thought I could ease my nerves a little bit, just roll a joint. You all don't know what a joint is, do you? I rolled a joint and I began to smoke and read that book. As I read that book, something happened. There was a transformation. It changed my life. What really changed is when I got that big bowl of ice cream and fudge brownie and got the munchies and began to read. And then as I came to that point in my life, and the question was asked, where will you spend eternity? And Jesus is available. He's there for you. And God is there. Father is there to forgive you. And I asked the question, what must I do to become a saved person? And the words were very clear. You know, I can still hear the same words today. He says, son, he says, I want you to accept my son. Ask for forgiveness. Name your sins. And then he'll come in, he'll live, and he'll guide you. You know, And he did. But there was a problem. The problem was, the old man was still there. Huh? You guys know what I'm talking about. That was still there. I hadn't been delivered from it. And it took a level of deliverance to get me to the place that hopefully I'm today, that I am today that I can say, I've been delivered and I'm on my way. Beam me up, Jesus. I'm ready to go. I have no fear in my heart. Actually, I don't have any fear of any kind in my heart. It doesn't occupy any territory in my life. And it's because I know who I am and I know who I serve. And I know who I don't serve anymore. And I know he knows who I am. And because he knows who I am, I give him a nightmare everywhere I go. Actually, I give him diarrhea. Okay. All right. So, the weaknesses and the holes after we, after we become a Christian are not all healed up at one time. It takes time. It takes growth. There's a, there's a process in which we all must go through. And the enemy knows those weaknesses. You know, you know that familiar spirit, so if some of you don't know what a familiar spirit, and I hope that you do, it's a family spirit, one that's very familiar with you. He's been around a long time. He knows every crook and nanny of your life. He knows everything about you, about your family. He knows exactly what he can do to push every button in your life to get you to do what he wants you to do. Right? Simple. And so many believers assume that, that once they're saved, there's no more to it. They, they, they believe because, because they've, they've said prayer and they, they got born again that the devil will now leave them alone. Do you believe that? No. Okay, that's what I want to hear. And if you do believe that, there's a problem. And that problem is that we're not knowing the Word of God. And what the Word of God says, it's very clear. It's not a surprise and shouldn't be a surprise to us when these things happen. The enemy, no matter what we do, he is always going to be there. He's always going to be looking. He's always going to be prodding. He's always going to be testing you. He's always going to be talking to you. He's going to do everything he can to gain control or come back into that new born-again life. And no one is exempt. And for those that believe that they're exempt, I got... Bad news. It's not going to happen. We're in a spiritual war. It's called spiritual warfare. And that spiritual warfare means there's always going to be a battle. This is not a skirmish. This is not a time for us to believe that we can just get through this skirmish. I overcome the devil. Wow, I got him. And the next minute he's attacking you and you're running because he's throwing rocks at you. We're, we're going to be in an ongoing battle. Jesus was all the way to his death. Paul was, the disciples were, all the way to their death. They had to die. And sometimes we believe we're going to escape the, the, the things of the world that, that the enemy is using to come against us. You know, the enemy is not coming after us always directly, uh, unless he's got a real opening, but usually it's coming through other people. It's other people that are attacking us. 
And those who desire to live godly in, in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Well, where's the persecution coming from? It's coming from within the church and without the church. We have not yet seen persecution. We have not yet seen it. So that means that we have to be prepared for it. And if we're not prepared for it, the first time we get hit with something upside the head, we're liable to run and give up. Many of Jesus' disciples did. Once hard times came, they ran. The twelve ran. You remember that? They all ran until they got restored. They went back to their fishing. They went back to whatever jobs, tax collecting, or whatever they did. But it still was a season that they ran. Now, if you've run, or if you're working with people who have run, encourage them that they can make it, but they have to be strong. They have to come to a place and allow the Lord to do and complete that work in their lives. So many people leave from, from going under deliverance, believing that, that that's it, that's all there is to it. But many times there's an ongoing process in which we always have to check ourselves, just like some of the testimonies of some of you that got up and shared about, about deliverance. And you've been walking with the Lord a long time, and you're still dealing with issues, and you need deliverance. Well, come on, what's wrong with that picture? A lot. There's a lot wrong with it. And that we have to accept the fact that it does happen. But the more sanctified that we become and allow that process in our life, the greater the strength we're going to have to resist the enemy. You know, we use that term all the time. Well, resist the enemy and he'll flee from you. Really? Really? Is that right? But I I think the sentence before that says, submit to God. And then the enemy will flee. But we can't be accepting the devil and his things in our lives and at the same time trying to walk a life of righteousness. It doesn't work. I tried it. Some of you have tried it. It doesn't work. That means there's a purification that takes place. We have to be strengthened. We have to exercise our faith. Not have faith in faith, but exercise our faith. That as we're exercising with, with barbells, for example, or some other exercises, as you're doing that, you become stronger. You can't live on your past laurels. Can't do it. It's impossible. You become weak and, weak and stagnant. So we have to get beyond that. That means we have to keep growing and going or we're going to be stagnant and die. That means we have to keep looking inward. I ask all the time, Lord, my wife and I, we pray this every day. Lord, check me. Is there anything in me that would offend you? Anything that would keep me from walking a righteous life? And you know what? There are times, maybe the previous day I did something that was not right. And he corrects me. See, you've got to forgive all the time. Ask for forgiveness. Forgive yourself. One of the biggest mistakes is people ask for forgiveness, but they never forgive themselves. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. It's not one we can live one day and skip it and go another month and then say, oh, well, I'll forgive that person or those persons and the things that that they're doing. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. And unless we're going through that lifestyle of forgiveness, we're going to run into trouble. Trouble will find you. Sin will find you out. It's got a mind of its own. It knows what it's doing. We'll we'll talk about that uh, later on. So the question is that if the devil will leave you alone alone after you have been born again, then why is he still doing it? That is the real question. That's the crux of the answer, of the the matter. And so, if he's still controlling or maintaining uh, strong presences in our life, if there's areas of bondage and strongholds in our life or in the lives that we're working with, why? Why is it still there? Because he still has access he has been allowed to have a control of a piece of that person. Now, I read according to the word that no unholy thing, no unrighteous thing will enter the kingdom of God. And so, if there's unrighteousness in us, we have to ask the question, what might be that unrighteousness in our life? But I'll tell you what, today, like never before, we need deliverance in the church. We can't ignore it. We can't shoo things away because people say, well, deliverance was in the past and it won't work for us today. But you see, deliverance has never stopped. It's always been a part of the church. It was about after the first century that deliverance began to decline. Why? When things began to come in and develop and and mature within the church that were ungodly, unholy, those things were allowed to take precedence in the church. It became weakened. It became anemic. We have to get back to the basics. 
And there might be times that you might have to cast demons out of people that are not saved. You say, well, that's not possible. You can't do that. Mm. Let me see. I think I read a story somewhere in here, a couple of two or three times, that said Jesus crossed the lake to get to the other side where there was a demon-possessed man. What happened? Did he say, now? Now there, demon-possessed man, I want you to accept me, forgive your sins, and I'll forgive your sins. And I want you to bow down for me and give your life to me. No, he didn't say that. He went there. Was that a saved man? I don't think so. I don't think that demon man was was born again and saved. What did he do? He did something interesting. Some people are afraid to do this, but I believe just as in healing, they don't have to be uh, saved church people, but they could be anyone on the streets that prayed for people everywhere and watched the healings come. But after he delivered that man, what happened? He became an evangelist. And he went. He wanted to travel with, the, with, with, with Jesus. And Jesus sent him away. He says, no, you go and you tell the great things that God has done for you. And he went and he preached and he shared what had happened to him. Sometimes just our sharing of what we do is enough. You know, sometimes we, we, we reach people and we've got our Bibles in hand. And we want to beat them over the head with it. We want to beat some religion into them. And you know what? You're saying, look here, I'm going to take you down this road. And they're saying, that's all Greek to me. You'll get it later. It's all Greek to me. They didn't understand what it was. It's all Greek to me. And so so oftentimes we think that we have to do things a certain way for things to happen God's way all the time. If we're doing God's work, it happens any way that he wants because he is in us doing that work. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. My wife and I, um, we were having a, an anniversary. It was, I think, our third or fourth anniversary. And uh, her mother had, a, her mother had a, uh, a heart attack. And so they called us up. The ambulance had just rushed her, rushed her to, the, uh, to the emergency room. And so we rushed there to the emergency room. We were all dressed up. And we were ready to go out and have a fine meal. Mm, that deal didn't work out. And so we got there. And uh, her mother was in there, you know, and they were doing all this work on her, on her body, you know, to get her reviver. And uh, I'm hearing this noise coming from the hall. And I'm saying, what is that ungodly noise? And I thought, hmm, I think I'll take a walk out there. I want to find I'm curious. I, I like to find out what, what's going on. Uh, especially strange noises like that because uh, it sounded like um, 15, I know... No pun here. Fifteen Vietnamese, and they're arguing with each other. And I thought, it's only one room. How can there be that many people in that room? And I saw a guard. I saw a guard standing outside the door, and his eyes were about this big. And I walked out into the hallway, and I walked past, and I looked in the room as I'm going by, and all I saw was one woman. I said, what happened to the other fifteen? I mean, I'm talking about all of them. And you say, well, how is that possible? I don't know. I don't know. But they were all speaking to this woman. I mean, they were blasted away. They were, if there if was a physical farm in there, they would have been fighting each other. They would have been tearing that emergency room up. Well, she wasn't in there for a sickness. She was in there because they felt it was some type of psychiatric problem. Mm. And I walked by and I looked in and the, uh, the guards looking at me as I'm walking by and Peek in the room real quick, and she's going, it's not me, it's not me. And I thought, well, I can see it's not you making all that noise, so there must be somebody else in that room hiding under something. And the, and the, the, the guard is standing there looking at me, and I said, uh, she's demon-possessed. His eyes really got big. <laughs> and so he's looking at me, and he said, he said, do you know anything about uh, exorcism? And I thought for a minute, should I say anything? <laughs> I, I've gotten bold. I'll say something. I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. I says, I do know that I can cast those demons out of her. So meanwhile, my wife walks up. And so we're standing in the hallway. I first went into the, into the, uh, uh, the ER room. And her family's in her, her sister and brother-in-law. And so if you're watching... 
too bad. Um, and so they're sending it, and I walked in, I just, just openly said it to Pat. I said, I said, honey, that woman's demon-possessed. Well, this word really got out, you know. I mean, they're looking at me like they're, they're, they're Baptist, what they call Baptist. Nothing wrong with Baptist, but, but, but they didn't understand. <laughs> and so they're looking at me, and, and, um, and I, I said, well, honey, I'm going back out there because I think there's something, you know, we can do. So we both walked out there, and the woman came up to the door, and once again, she says, it's not me. And, and Pat and I both agreed, it's not you. Because whatever is speaking out of you is not you. It's somebody else. So I know it's not you. And so, so um, the guard's looking at me, and I said to the woman, I said, do you want to be free? She says, oh, yes. I want to be free. I said, do you know Jesus? She says, well, I know about him. And I thought at that point, well, maybe I ought to leave this one alone. Because she didn't know Jesus. But I said, well, let me pray with you to just receive him in a way that you understand so we can get on with this business. And so, so I, I prayed for her. I had her say a prayer. And then I bound all the demons and cast them out. Well, now all of them, 15 demons left, or however many there were. They all left. And the guard's looking at, uh, looking at us, and his eyes, you know, he's, he's going, what just happened? What just happened? Something just happened here. And so, so we left, and uh, the woman went back into the room, and she sat down on the table, and we heard nothing. Not a word. And so, uh, Pat and I were, were in this operating room, with her, uh, ER room with her mother, and so as we're standing there, pretty soon this woman comes to the door. She comes to the door. She's all normal. Imagine that. Bind them up and cast them out. You'll be normal. And so she she comes to the door and she says, oh, you know, well, there was no chairs in it. It's not a place that, you know, they, it's not a, a, a visiting room where spectators are watching what's going on as the doctors are watching them. So there's no chairs in there. And so we, we, we um, uh, went out into the hallway and she was in her right mind. She began to get chairs out of other rooms and bring, us, bring them to, to us so that we could sit down. And I thought, wow, she's really changed. Meanwhile, the guard is just shocked, and the nurses and the doctors that were walking up and down this hall as far away from that door as they could get were now asking, where is the person that was in the room with all the people in her? And so, as we looked at that situation, we realized that God had done a wonderful work in that woman's life. Now, will they stay gone? I don't know. Will she remain a sane person as we left her? We don't know. Have we done our job as best we could? We don't have all the answers. And we may have planted the seeds. We may have bound up some demonic entities and got rid of them. And maybe somewhere else down the line she'll receive. But to think that we're the end all to everyone's problems is never going to be the case in most cases. It's a time and a season that we have to do our part in the body of Christ. That's my opening. But I just want to say this, that many believers do not fully understand the consequences of sin, the effects that it has not only on their lives, but on the lives of others around them. And for some of you know that. You know that that when we sin, we affect other people. We become very dangerous around other people who are not suffering from the same thing that we're suffering from. And so we pay the consequences. And so I don't have the answers for all of that. All I know is I've paid the consequences for what other people have done to my life. And I forgave them. Believe me, I had to forgive them so that I could be free and move on with the things of God. But one thing's for sure. We cannot continue to compromise the very truth that saved us and delivered us. And oftentimes we're compromising by the things that we do. We become active in the things that were supposed to be dead in our old nature. And we become a part of that old nature going back little by little into the things that we were freed from. You see, truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And truth is an action as well as a, a inaction in our life. In other words, it's a part of our it's a part of our bodies. It's a part of what we do. In Ephesians, it says that we're to gird up the loins of our uh, of our body. That's the first thing that it says. Gird up our loins with truth. 
Well, there's a reason for that. The truth is the tandem area of our body. See, I know that from the things that I was messed up in for 30 years. I know what the tandem does. I know where the power comes from. I knew, I knew how to use that power. I knew how the enemy and all these other entities and things were using me to, to operate in, in the fields of martial arts that I was in. And so I understand the ins and outs of it, literally. And so it's the area that it's truth. It's the truth that sets us free. Not a mixed gospel, not untruths. It's not pollution, but truth. And oftentimes we see people set free, but yet they don't know the truth. We must know the truth, but the truth and only the truth will set us free. And maintaining that truth will keep us free. We can't be dabbling in and out of things, but we have to stay focused on the very thing that set us free. And so oftentimes, the very area that we can die in, this is our lifeline. This is the reproduction area of our lives. This is the area where life is here in our tandem area. It's the area that the enemy will use and still using in the lives of many people. He's using it in many areas of the lives of people through the sexual area, sexual arena. Uh, he uses it in, in, in yoga and martial arts. He uses it in all kinds of sin. This is where it develops. This is where it begins to mature. And this is when it will do the damage that the devil intended for it to do. So that's an area we have to protect. Um, the, the, the other thing that I wanted to share with you is that when we compromise and go back to practicing the things that we were delivered from are engaging in new sin. See, oftentimes if he can't get you to go back to the old sin, he'll get new sin. Did you know that new sin can come? Well, that's what temptation is all about. Temptation, though, is not an invitation to do it. But it very well may be a test in our lives that we can come out of, of what the enemy's doing to us and for us, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, to us and for us to do through the things that he's tempting us with. But we have to stay away from that. We have to resist the enemy with all of our hearts. But I, I just think that the very things that we're delivered from or engaging in, uh, in some bizarre way, uh, people believe that they can continue to do it and get away with it. And I'll talk more about that on Thursday. They believe they can sin and get away with it. And I don't know, it's, it's bizarre to me. I, I, at times I thought I could, but after I got born again, I still thought I could. But I found out that you can't get away. You know, grace is not a credit line. Sooner, day, sooner or later, payday comes. And so we have to be prepared for that. I often said, do we think God winks his eye and says, I understand your struggle, Vito, because you are just flesh and blood. And besides, there's a demonic force that's unfairly taking advantage of you. Huh. Did you ever think that way? That God might think that? Maybe not. Maybe you have that we're being taken advantage of because we're but flesh and blood. It doesn't happen. Or do we think God looks at sin and disobedience differently under grace in the New Testament than he did in the Old Testament? And yet many believe they can continue in sin and still be under grace. I'll tell you this. You walk out from under grace, you're fair game. You're fair game. You come out from that, and the devil's going to have a heyday with you. Sin is no different in the church than it is in the world. Sin is sin. Did you know that? Sin is sin. The world needs deliverance, but they're not going to receive it. Christians need deliverance, and they still don't want to receive it. So it's time and a season that we have to approach this God's way and allow him to open the door for what he wants each of us to do. It may look differently. We know many people in deliverance ministries and they all look different. There's not one that's the same. If they become a cooker cutter, a cookie cutter uh, process of deliverance, then they're not going to learn from that process completely and they're going to follow the same mistakes that everybody else has followed, doing the same things and expecting different results. That's insanity in my estimation. But generational curses, strongholds in the world are no different also than in the church. Did you know that? We see them in the world. I mean, how, how can we deny that? The world is full of, of, of strongholds. They're still in bondage, and yet, yet, we as born-again, spirit-filled people are still seeing the same generational curse, curses and bondages holding believers in bondage. I, I, I don't understand that totally, but it does happen. I, I, we have a saying that we, we wrote that we are either opposing the enemy and on a collision course with him or we are in collusion with him. It's all about choice. And I would say this in, in closing this down that there is a lot more to what we're going to learn this week 
There's a lot more that we all need to learn. There's none of us that has all the answers, but I declare to you that God is going to complete some real work in many lives here today and bring us to a place that we can be greater wars, we can be more than conquerors, that we can walk in a walk that's not subject to the dictates of the enemy, that we can walk out of fear, fear being the first thing that came on mankind in the very beginning. And I'll share that story as we uh, continue this next session on Thursday. Thank you. Prayer meeting at 6 o'clock. This is the end of this message. Our website is www.lakehamiltonbiblecamp.com and lhbconline.com. There are many free audio files there. It's like going to Bible school at home. Thank you.